So we're going to be in the book of Hebrews again today, but for whatever reason, uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to talk for a second, and then I'm going to go back, and we're going to talk about what we just read, okay? So I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2.5, okay? That's where we're going to go today. Two verses, like, man, we're going to get out of here quick today. Good luck with that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run the race, run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So that's where we're going to stop today. So you're like, wow, man, that is a short passage we're going to cover today. Surely we can wrap this up in about 10 minutes, right? Okay. Uh, I think you guys know me better than that. Hopefully we'll get out of here by 1230. So buckle up. Hope you brought a sandwich today. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So um, we're talking about running a race. Uh, God brought me to this passage today for some reason that I do not know, okay? But there's somebody in here that needs to hear this. Most likely every person in here can apply this particular passage to their life in some way, shape, form, or fashion. I don't know specifically what your issue is. I don't know specifically what's going on in your life, but I can trust the fact that God does, that God knows exactly what you needed to hear today, that he brought you here with a, with a plan and a purpose so that you could take this word and forever change your life. And that's the way that we should approach God's word all the time. Like with the understanding that God is going to do something great with his word because his word never returns void, that he has always got a plan for his word when it hits our hearts. So today, I pray that your hearts are just open, that you just listen. And I know that everybody in here has probably heard this passage a time or two, or you've seen it written on a placket Lifeway. I know that you've probably seen it, but I'm just saying, just allow God to use this passage to change your heart today, okay? So we're talking about running a race. Um, I have recently started running in some races. In the past year and a half, uh, I got a buddy of mine that invited me to go and run an obstacle course race, and I, I did that, and I've kind of... It's reinvigorated my desire for running, okay, because for a long time as an adult, I didn't have a desire to run. Um, I think that's natural. I think that's a good thing when you don't run, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's a good thing when you do run. Um, I get bored running, so therefore, this obstacle race is something that I have latched onto. I like the idea of an obstacle race. That way, I can just run a little bit, do something else, run a little bit more, do something else. I like the obstacle race thing. When I was younger, I played soccer. When I was in high school, I played soccer. All I did in high school was run. I swear to you, it's like the only thing that our coach did not know a whole lot about soccer, but he knew a whole lot about running. And all he knew to do is he told us this. He said, at the end of the game, he said, they're going to be tired and you're not. Okay. He said, that's all I know. And he didn't know a lick about soccer, but I can tell you that when we got done with the end of that game, we were not tired and they were okay. Like that was absolutely the truth. Um, we would run, I remember distinctly, uh, we would run, I, I can't, <laughs> I don't know why this just occurred to me, I'll tell you this. Um, so we used to run a lot when I played soccer, and, and I had buddies who would be like, hey, I'm going to come try out for the soccer team, and I would tell them, hey, look, I know that we used to play soccer when we were like 10, and, and that was like a whole different deal then than what it is now. You need to start running in preparation for trying out for soccer and you need to prepare for that very first practice. And these guys were in 11th or 12th grade. They're like, man, I can, I'm good. One of them actually smoked. And he said, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. 
He said, he said, no, man, I'll be good. You know, I can run. I, you know, I'll run around the block or whatever. Okay, okay, fine, man. So I remember distinctly about 12 minutes into the first practice when we were trying out, he was over there puking up something black and awful. Like it was just, like it was ridiculous how much we ran. I, I, we would run, <laughs> we would run so long. I remember we would run and we would be, we would finally finish up our runs and the track team would be going home and we haven't even started practice yet. We just finished our running is all we had done. Um, we, I, I, admittedly, I was in the best shape of my life. Um, I could just run and run and run and not get winded, and it was crazy. That would even carry on from the next year. Like It actually helped build up my endurance because I had ran previous years uh, so much playing soccer that I didn't get winded as much the next year when soccer season rolled around. Um, we just ran and ran and ran. So when I was younger, I was decent at running. Okay, As I got older... I didn't run. Uh, many of you know how this happens. You go through college, you get into adulthood, there's no time to run, right? Just rarely have a chance to, rarely crosses your mind that you should run, right? Unless you're being chased. That's an exception to the rule. But So we, um, I, I got involved with an indoor soccer team later on in life, and I was, I don't know, maybe late 20s, I would say, something, somewhere between 25 and 30. And I can remember distinctly this, this group, they said, hey, man, we've got an indoor soccer team. Why don't you come play soccer with us? And I'm like, that sounds awesome. I love soccer. When the grass starts growing in the springtime, like it makes me crave soccer. I know that that sounds weird to everybody in the United States, but it did. It made me crave soccer in the springtime. Well, he said, hey, let's go play indoor. Indoor is like a giant hockey arena, and it's smaller than a normal soccer field. I can handle this. This is going to be awesome. I get to go play soccer as an adult. You know, I get to be a kid again, you know, relive my glory days or whatever. This is going to be great. So, all right, so Tuesday, come Tuesday or whatever, like be there at 7 o'clock or whatever. Okay, fine. So, um, <laughs> I don't, why is this occurring to me? I don't know. But the name of our team, for whatever reason, was Iron Lung. I mean, that was the name. And the, and the, and, and the, the logo on our T-shirts was a soccer ball smoking a cigarette, okay? So this is soccer at the adult level, okay? So it's a little bit different than when you're in high school. And I thought, man, that's funny. That's hilarious, you know? But I figured out that I'm not as good at running as an adult as I was as a student in high school. As a matter of fact, there's a tremendous difference between... 15 and 25. I didn't realize that at the time, but I got out there for the first 10 minutes. I, I, there, I was on the bench. I was like, I want to go. Let's go. Put me out there. I'm ready to go. You know, I'm all excited. I've been warming up, and I'm like, I'm ready to play soccer. And I went out there. Uh, they put me in. They were like, hey, we need a sub. Go in. So I go in, and uh, first 10 minutes, I haven't played soccer in probably 10 years, and, and, and I ran my heart out. Like, I was just going as hard as I could. And I figured out in an instant, I am old. In, in, in 10 seconds, I figured out the fact that I am old and I am not young anymore and I cannot run like I used to, okay? And, and I, got, I, I got in there for 10 minutes and then I'm raising my hand. Y'all take me out. Take, please, for the love of God, take me and put me on the bench. I cannot take this anymore. I got on the bench. We don't, we don't have a place for me to sit. I'll sit down here. I got on the bench, and I promise you, I, I was so thankful that they had taken me out. And I put my head between my knees, because that's what you do when you're about to pass out. 
And, I, and I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to myself. I'm trying to encourage myself, and I'm going, don't pass out. Don't pass out. Don't pass out. Run, run to the light. Don't run to the light. Don't, don't let the tunnel vision creep in. And, my, and the whole time, my, my vision's going whoop, like this, you know, and I'm seeing this little dot of light just right between my feet, you know, and I'm like, this is not good. This is not good. Y'all, I, I, I could not breathe. My brain wouldn't function. I thought I was dying. I, I mean, I had had my life flashing before me. I mean, it was just bad news. Bad news. Um, but I, 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 I did end up recovering. I did end up finishing the season and playing, and I played the next season, and it was really good. And I figured out that running as an adult is actually a very good thing for you. Uh, later on in, in life, just recently, like I say, I've gotten involved in some obstacle course races, which I like a lot. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think our natural tendency is, is to, to, to not want to do things that we know is good for us, right? Like our natural tendency is that we have to like talk ourselves into doing some stuff that we know is probably beneficial for us, but we really don't like it and we don't really see the benefits of it beforehand. So therefore, we just kind of talk ourselves out of it a lot of times. Um, I think that's very natural for us to do. Um, I think that, that many times I do this to myself when I'm looking outside and, and it's cloudy. I'm like, it's probably going to rain today. I don't need to run, that sort of thing, you know. And, and, and because, you know, there might be a few sprinkles that hit me on the head, therefore I don't need to run. Um, but I, I think that once, once I get out there and I start running and, and I'm like, oh, why did I do this in the first place? This is such a dumb idea. But when I get home and, and I'm sitting there after about 10 minutes, I'm like, man, I feel so much better. I actually feel like I can breathe. I feel like I'm alive. I mean, it's like it turns out that it's a good thing when I run. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, I, I was thinking about this. I was on a trip this, uh, this past week, um, and I was overseas. And, and one of the things that I figured out I can do to kind of combat the jet lag that I feel from going uh, you know, across the pond there is to exercise. So I go to the gym, and I kind of work out, and, and it just it changes my perspective on things. It actually... Uh, just kind of brightens up my day and makes me more energized and ready to go. And, and it, but it's hard to convince myself of that. It really is. It's hard to convince myself of that because I start thinking about the gym and I thought, start thinking about being out of breath. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to feel that way. But on the backside of it, I'm looking at it and I'm going, I'm so glad that I did, you know. And I think that's our natural tendency. We look at the difficulty of something and we talk ourselves out of doing it, facing it, going forward. But then when we get on the other side of it, we look back and say, man, I'm so glad I did that. Some of us go through this struggle with church. I know that I have done this, struggling with go to church sometimes. <clears throat> I look at, at church, I'm like, I got to get up early. Um, I got I to gotta, you know, put on different clothes. I can't just go in my PJs, which you can here. It's perfectly cool. Just make sure that you're dressed appropriately. Like, <laughs> my, words is, my words are, if you, if you can't go to the altar in it, don't come to church in it, okay? So... It's the only advice I give to my teenagers. Um, but but I, I feel like I don't want to go to church today. I don't know if I should. It's like, oh, uh, you know, and obviously I'm a pastor now, so it's a little different. But, but then once I get there and God speaks to me and his Holy Spirit starts to move in me and I'm reminded of something that I'm struggling in with my life and I, I think about things that I didn't even know I was hurting about or struggling with and, and, and God speaks to me and he does something great in my life and then I I leave church, I'm like, man, I am so glad that I was there today. I'm so glad that I opened up my heart enough to say, I'm going to endure the difficult stuff so that I, I can do what I need to do because I know that it is beneficial. In the book of Hebrews, 
uh, last week or the week before last, I told you that that we know who the writer of Hebrews is, right? And like some of the older people are like, man, he has backed himself into a corner. What is he going to do? He's not going to be able to get himself out of this. He, he says he knows who the writer of Hebrews is. The writer of Hebrews is the Holy Spirit of God. The writer of the entire Word of God is the Holy Spirit of God. It, it, it is men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God writing down words that God has told them to write down. So I know that the, the writer of Hebrews is the Holy Spirit of God. So therefore, I can be comforted in that. God put these words on a page for me so that His Holy Spirit could remind me of things that I need to know in my life. So the writer of Hebrews here, he's talking to a bunch of people who are also Hebrews, Israelites, people of Jewish descent, if you will, right? And he's trying to tell them the reality of who Christ is and the reality of what they need to know in order to be Christians. Because here's the situation they're in. Everything they know about God is based on their traditions, their history, as something somebody has told them previously and, and stuff that, that they have kind of changed and manipulated things in such a way that they're like a little bit confused about what a relationship with God is all about. And that's the reason Jesus Christ came, to set the record straight, to show them this is what it really means to have a heart that's after God. It has very little to do with what you do and very much to do with who you are. Because the Israelites were very conf confused about the fact that they thought that there was a lot of tradition and legalism around what it is that they did. And therefore, if they did those things, if they took step A and B and C and D, therefore, that put them in right standing with God. And Jesus came to shake all that up. He said, if you want a right standing with God, you have got to understand the heart of God. And I represent the heart of God. Jesus Christ represented the heart of God, the fact that he cared so much about us and us understanding who he was that he came to earth as a person to show us what sacrificial love was all about, to show us what real love meant and what it was all about. Jesus came to set the record straight, but the Hebrews, the Israelites, were kind of confused a little bit. And this here we've got some people that have come to faith in Christ and they're thinking about going back to the old ways, or they're on the verge of coming to Christ, and they're still trapped in their old ways, right? So there's people on the fence. They could be on one side of the fence or the other, but they're on the fence, and they're struggling with that. They're struggling because this is what I always thought about God. This is what I always knew to be true about God, and now I've got a different message that's coming to me, and, and the Holy Spirit of God is impressing upon their hearts that it's true, but it's a struggle for them. Have you ever experienced that, a struggle with, oh, but I, I thought this was true. It turns out that as I hear something and it resonates with me and I can feel God speaking to me, it turns out that what I thought was true is not really true. You, you ever had that experience? I know that I've had that experience many times. I'll hear somebody preach something from the pulpit, and I, I like, well, that must be true. That dude up there said it. He knows a heck of a lot more about the Bible than I do. Therefore, it must be true. And you just take it at face value. And, and then you go and you hear somebody else, or you hear a podcast, or you read the Bible on your own, and you go, that don't sound right. You know, that's not what that dude said, and this sounds like it's true. And I really feel like God's showing me that this is true. And I read the word of God for myself under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that wrote those words. And I go, man, this doesn't line up with what I thought I knew was true. And it's a bit of a struggle, right? Because you've got to wage war against what you thought you knew to be true. Francis Chan said this. He said something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing here. He said, he, he said 
if what you thought you knew about God was wrong, would you still want to know it so that you knew what the truth would be? So that you understood the truth. Even if what you thought was, was true about God, you figured out it was wrong, would you still want to know the truth? I, I think that, that we struggle with that a little bit. We would rather just kind of believe what we've always believed because that's easier. It's so much easier to just go along with what we always thought to be true than it is to try to turn that upside down. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ came for that purpose and that purpose alone. To turn everything that you thought that you knew was true and turn it upside down. You see, before you became a Christian, or if you're not a Christian, maybe you struggle with this too, you think that all good people go to heaven. You think that because I'm a good person, I haven't killed anybody, I haven't done anything really bad. I may have done some kind of bad stuff every once in a while, but every teenager does that, every college kid does that, every adult does that. But, you know, for the most part, I'm a good person. I haven't committed murder or rape or kidnapping or anything crazy like that. So therefore, I must be on my way to heaven, right? And then God's Word teaches something different. Then you hear something different. And the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of something different. That The problem is that there aren't any good people. The problem is that, that yes, good people would go to heaven, but the problem is there aren't any good people. That everybody sins and falls short of the glory of God. That we are, we are in death because we are captured by our sin. And that sin leads to death and separation from God for all of eternity. And then you hear, but if you trust in Jesus, if you really believe, if you have faith that he is a sacrificial lamb for your sins, if you truly believe that, then you can be rescued and saved. It's kind of turning everything over on his head, right? It doesn't sound logical. It doesn't sound reasonable. Well, I want you to understand that the people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, would have felt the same way, that this sounds crazy, but I feel like it's true. I feel like the Holy Spirit is showing me that this is true. So the writer of Hebrews is trying to convince them, like, look, you got to do away with your old ways and come all the way to Christ. Or if you're all the way to Christ, don't go back to your old ways. And that's a, a pretty clear indication for all of us, too. I, I don't think probably a whole lot of people in here struggle with legalism. Maybe you do. You think that if I do this, this, and this, it puts me in right standing with God? Uh, there are a lot of people that do believe that. There are a lot of people that believe if I go to Sunday school and I'm there every Sunday and I sing along with the worship songs, that therefore I must be good with God. I look like all the other people that are good with God. Therefore, I am doing what they're doing. Therefore, I must be good with God. The problem is, is that the heart is different. The heart is different. It's all about the heart and what the heart says and what the heart is. And only you know exactly what's going on in your own heart. You and God, the one that sacrificed his life for your heart, understands your heart. And he even understands it better than you do. So all the things that you trick yourself into thinking and saying to yourself, God knows better than that too. So what I want you to understand, the, the point I'm trying to make is this, is that the writer of Hebrews is dealing with some people that are really struggling with understanding truth. They're really struggling with what they already thought that they knew, and then it turns out that that's not exactly right. That the, the truth is actually deeper than what they thought it was. It's not superficial and just the actions that they did, but it's the heart behind it and what the heart says about your life. Today, I hope and I pray that you will examine your heart. That you will stop looking at what you do and how you act and you will start looking at who you are. 
Because that's something that a lot of people overlook because they want to lie to themselves and they want to tell themselves that they're good so they can feel comforted and they go to sleep at night. The only rest that you will truly get, the only true rest and peace that you will get is when you acknowledge that you are bad and that he is good. And all you can do is trust in his goodness to cover your badness. Does that make sense? That's the only way you're really going to have peace. And there are a lot of people that don't have peace because they don't know that. They've been acting, pretending, trying to, trying to put on a show to themselves and to the world, and it's not working. They just are in turmoil, and they know they're not right with God because they're on that fence, and they never come fully to Christ. So today, let's talk about what is said in Hebrews chapter 12. There are certain verses in the Bible that we read and like, oh yeah, I've heard that preached this way, that way, blah, 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 and that's the way I thought that that was written. I thought that's what that meant. Here it says we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right? We are surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses. Now, a lot of people have heard this preached in such a way to say that imagine yourself running this race, because we're talking about being in a race, right? That's what verse 2 says. Imagine that you're running this race and you're surrounded by this huge stadium of people in heaven looking down at you, encouraging you on and, and hoping that you do the right thing and, and cheering you on and all this kind of stuff. Well, I think that that's garbage. I think that is a ridiculous way to look at this verse. I think that that doesn't make any sense whatsoever if you look at it in the context of what the writer is saying here. It, this is not just a bunch of people up in heaven looking down at you, hoping you do the right thing, encouraging you to do the right thing. You know what the people in heaven are doing? They got their eyes fixed on their Savior and His glory, and they are worshiping and praising Him 24-7 for all of eternity. That's where their eyes are fixed. It's not fixed on you. In case you are wondering about this, they're not looking down at you. They're looking at Him, which is the place that all of us should be looking, by the way. And we'll talk about that in a second. But this huge crowd of witnesses is not a stadium full of people in heaven looking down at you and you running this track race down here on earth. No, that's not what that is. To be a witness is somebody that gives their testimony, right? If you're a witness on a stand, you give your testimony to what you have seen, what you have experienced personally, right? Well, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, which we're going to go back and do in the coming weeks, we're going to go back and look at Hebrews chapter 11 at these witnesses, you will see that what they are doing is giving their testimony about it, what it means to have a right relationship with God, what it means to truly have faith, what real faith looks like. And they are giving their testimony, their witnesses saying, if you follow through with what we have done, if you will follow the way that we have set forward, if you will do what we have done, you will experience the same glory that we experience right now. As we sit in the very presence of God right now, you too could be here. They're giving their testimony to us. Through God's word, they're showing us what we can have, what is promised to us. They're giving their testimony of what a right relationship with God looks like. So to be a witness is not to say that they're looking at us. It's to say that they're telling us through their lives, what their lives are saying. They're telling us and showing us, man, you too can experience the glory of God and the, the precious relationship with God if you will do like we did. Now, I'm not saying that all these people that are pointed out in here are perfect. <laughs> there are a lot of people that's got a lot of screwed up stuff in their lives, okay? But I will tell you this. 
they have faith in, in, in God. They have genuine trust and faith in God and who he is. And their lives speak that. It's not through what they have done, but it's an overflow of their, their hearts and what their heart really says. That's what causes them to do what they do. I wonder if that's the case for many of us. Does our heart and the things that we do, because sometimes we, we fake our hearts out and we do stuff that our heart really isn't into, but we do it anyway because we think that we should, right? Does your heart and the things that you have a desire to do, are those the things that glorify God? Like if you really look at your heart and examine your heart, you know what's in there. I don't. And you look at the overflow of your heart and the things that you do as a result of what your heart really wants to do. Are those things glorifying God? Are those the things that, that, that bring glory and honor to the King of Kings? Or do you just do those things out of habit or those things out of ritual or those things because you know that you should do them? That's the real question today. That's the real question. What, what does your heart say? The desires of your heart, what are they really? Are they glorifying to the King of Kings? As you hear this today, I want you to think about the Hebrews, the Israelites are listening to this, but I want you to think about yourself too because as God speaks to them, he's speaking to you too. He brought you here so you could hear this. This great cloud of witnesses, by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. They are a witness to the life of faith. They are a witness to what it really means to have faith in God, a genuine right relationship with God. They're giving their testimonies by their faith. He says, so let us, let us, let us. Think about who he's talking to. He's talking to us. He's talking to them. He's talking to the people on the fence way back then. And he's talking to us, the people that are on the fence right now. Can you, for just a moment, fathom the idea that this was inspired by the Holy Spirit so that these Hebrews, these Israelites, could hear this message? And at the same time, God had the intent and the purpose for you to be here today to hear the same thing. He knew back then when it was originally written, and he knows right now exactly every ear that will hear this message, every person that will hear the very word of God, he knew that was going to happen for all of eternity. He's always known. He knew then, he knows now, and he knows for the future, the people that will hear it as well. So he says, let us, it's us. It's not just some people way back in the past. It's not just some Israelites, the chosen people of God. It's for every person in this room. Because his word is alive, because it never changes, it was intended for you to hear this today. So when he says, let us, he's talking about us, you and me. The people that know their hearts and the people that know that, that God is speaking to them. Let us, let us, you and me, today, right here, right now. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So there's weight and there's sin. Now, that's weird. I would have thought the weight would have been the sin, right? Like you need to get rid of the sin so you can chase after Jesus, right? You got to run this race. You need to get rid of the sin. 
right? Because the, the sin would be what, what weighs you down. Well, now he says weight and sin. Well, I think if you look at the context of this, you look at who he's talking to because he's talking to them and to us. What is he talking about? What is the weight that they carry around? What is the weight that most of us carry around? It's trying to do the right thing, isn't it? Trying to do A and B and C and D and Z and AA and BB and CC and just on and on and on, trying to do these thing after thing after thing after thing to put ourselves in right standing with God. That's what they struggled with. That's what a lot of us struggle with. Some of us struggle with it and don't even know that we struggle with it. You come to church out of obligation and you think, man, if I go to church, I'll be a good person. And that's what I need to be able to get into heaven. That's wrong. That's the wrong way of thinking. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell these people. It's the same thing he's trying to tell us. And people still struggle with it today just like they struggled with it back then. They're trying to do all these things to add up to equal heaven, and it doesn't work that way. If you do take all the things that, that you have done that are good in your life and the right things that you have done, you know what they equal up to? Zero. Zil. There is nothing good or worthy about your actions. Our best actions, our best intent, our best attempts at righteousness equal up to filthy rags. Nasty, awful, filthy rags. Well, man... That's different than what I've always heard. I thought if I went to church that that made me a good person, right? That's what they thought. That's exactly what they thought. That's what so many people, especially here in the Bible Belt South, right? If I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I go to church, I get into heaven, right? Like that's the way that it works, right? Like A plus B plus C equals heaven. If I don't cuss too much, I get into heaven, right? If I, if I don't beat my wife, I get into heaven. You know, it's just like that kind of stuff, that kind of mentality. Like that's, that's what we think. And a lot of us are raised in that mentality, especially around, around this place where, where, man, we really try so very hard to, to do all these things to equal up to heaven. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And we look at ourselves in the Bible Belt and we say, man, we're a lot better than those northerners, those Yankees, and the way that they think and the way that they do. You understand that when they look at you and say, no, I'm not going to church because I don't know that why I would, that's just as bad as you going to, to say, you saying, I'm going to church just because I think that I should. You understand that's just as bad? Because there are many people in the north that will you invite them to church and they'll go, why do I need to go to church? I say, well, because you need to understand who Jesus is. Why do I need to know that? Well, because he's a sacrificial lamb. He paid for your sins and and he died so that you could have eternity with God. Well, I'm a good person. I'm glad that he did that. That's awesome, but I, I, don't, I don't need to go to church to hear that. That's great that you told me that. Thank you, you know? Do you understand that that mentality is just as bad as a person that says, yeah, I'm getting up going to church today. That's what I'm supposed to do. It's Sunday, so therefore, you know, I get to have lunch afterwards, so that's pretty good. And I get to hang out with some friends and uh, I'm sure Kenny will say something that's pretty entertaining. He'll tell us about running out of breath or something like that. Do you understand that that mentality is just as bad? I wonder if we really open up our hearts and our minds to what God has to say to us before we come in these doors. Say, God, I know that you're going to speak to me today. I know that you're going to challenge my heart. I know that you're going to purify my heart. And I want to hear from you because I know that you died for me. And I know that you have this ability to, to purify my life in a way that I can't do myself. 
Is that the mentality that we come in here with? So the weight, I think for these people, is the legalism. The check the box mentality, if you will. If I do this, 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 and this, I'm good. I think that's the weight that holds them down. You know, I think we suffer from the same thing. I think we got the same kind of weight that holds us down. This check the box mentality and I'm good. I'm in right standing with God because I've checked all these boxes. I went to Sunday school today. Check, 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 check. I even went on a mission trip once. Check. Therefore, I am good. Check. I came to church on a Wednesday night. Check, check. You know, it's like, it's amazing. But do you know that that's weight that weighs us down and holds us back from a right relationship with God? And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying. There's another interesting thing in the rest of this passage. He says, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. He doesn't say these sins. These sins. Why does he say these sins? Because there's a lot of sins that mess us up, right? Trip, up, trip, us, trip us up. Just like me tripping over my words. There's a lot of sins that trip us up. Why does he not say sin? Why does he say sin? What is he talking about when he says sin? What is the sin that really trips us up? Well, I was thinking today. I was thinking about what would the sin be? And I have, I have this idea. It's probably the same sin that they would struggle with then and we struggle with now. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan? He had been fasting. He'd been in the wilderness and he hadn't eaten. He hadn't drank anything. And, 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 and Satan starts like, hey, turn this stone into a loaf of bread. You know? All of these things that Jesus was tempted with were an invitation by Satan for him to doubt God. To doubt God, to doubt the, the, the power of God and, and who God was. It was all in that purpose and that intent was to doubt God. So do you know what I think our biggest sin probably is that trips us up? Is to doubt God. To doubt that, that, that maybe what I heard today was not really for me. Maybe I just had an emotional experience. Maybe I just heard something and it really, because Kenny was yelling a lot, maybe that's the reason it kind of stirred something inside of me. Maybe it wasn't really the, the Holy Spirit of God talking to me. Maybe it really wasn't me that really needed to hear that. Maybe it was a person sitting next to me that needed to hear that. And we walk out of here and we talk ourselves out of it. We walk out of here and we go, that wasn't really for me. It goes in one ear and out the other, you know. We talk ourselves out of the truth. We talk ourselves out of the fact that the Holy Spirit of God was speaking to these Hebrews and speaking to you right now. We doubt God. We genuinely doubt God. We doubt that it's for us. We assume that it's for somebody else. We say that we're a good person. Therefore, we talk ourselves out of it. And we are full of doubt. We are full of doubt. The sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run the race with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. I like the fact that it says endurance. Because I don't know if you know what it's like to, uh, to run the race that God has set before you, but it requires endurance. It, it, it is not run easily. It is not a clear path. He doesn't clear all the stones out of your way. Sometimes there's walls and obstacles and all kinds of bad stuff that you have to, you have to, to push through and get through and, and run over in order to be able to get there. 
I don't know why it is that, that so many preachers preach that you will have an easy, smooth life if you come to Jesus. The only thing that you've got there is a reassurance of what the end of the race looks like. That's the only reason that you run with endurance is because you know what's at the finish line. I can tell you, um, for me, coming to Christ and, and even, even I, like being a pastor is like the toughest thing I've ever done, you know? It really is. I mean, I, I've done a lot of stuff, but, but the, the compassion you feel for people and the hurt that you see in people and the struggle that you see people going through, man, it is the hardest thing that I have ever done in my life. I mean, it is a daily struggle for me to see people hurting and to see people just running away from the truth. That's the, other, that's the thing that drives me crazy in my heart. It's like I see people, they know the truth, they hear the truth. God will convict them. Their, their legs shaking in, in their seat, you know? Like they're so overwhelmed with conviction that they can't hardly sit still. They just want to run to the altar right in the middle of the message, but they don't. They talk themselves out of it. Like that is the hardest thing for me to watch. Jesus, he had the same thing. I'm not Jesus, but Jesus suffered from the same thing. He said when he looked upon the crowds, he had compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They're, they're wandering around. And, and man, when, as a pastor, I see that so many times. People that are so lost and they're wandering around, they've talked themselves out of it time and time and time again. And I'm just like, I'm begging them. I'm begging like just... <laughs> Just like Paul, God, if I can be accursed, if I can be cut off from you so that they will be saved, I pray that that's what happens. That's how much heartache and compassion you have when you see it, man. I stand up here every Sunday and I look out there and I see people. I, I mean, you can just about see the tears in their eyes. You can just about see how much their heart is about to beat out of their chest. And then you see them Sunday after Sunday just walk out with complete indifference and going, well, that was just... It was just a little emotional spat I had. It wasn't real. It wasn't really God. When you run this race and you run it for God and with God, it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult, extremely difficult as a matter of fact. It's not going to be an easy path. It's not going to be a smooth path. As a matter of fact, I believe it's harder when you have a relationship, a right relationship with God to walk through this life. It requires endurance. Endurance is something you have to build up. It's something that occurs over time. The, the more you run, the longer you can run, the more frequently you run, the more endurance you have, right? The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 2, he says this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. If you run any kind of race, if you have ever been in any sort of race at all, you know that it, it becomes easier once you can see the finish line. Am I right? As you're running, you see that tape or maybe an arch or something that you've got to run through. All of a sudden, it's like, man, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I'm almost there, I'm almost there, I'm almost there. I want you to know that as you run this race with God, there is one place that you need to keep your eyes fixed. It's, it's not on your feet, it's not the work that you're doing. You don't need to be looking behind you and, and seeing how far you've come. You need to keep your eyes fixed on the finish line. You need to keep your eyes fixed on the one who has perfected our faith. 
the one that made it all come together, and you keep your eyes fixed on him. I know that we love to keep our eyes fixed on a lot of stuff and we're looking to the left, looking to the right, but I promise you, if you do that, you'll be tripped up or you won't run the race with endurance. You only run the race with endurance once you have your eyes fixed on the finish line and Jesus is that finish line. If you are running the race for any other reason than besides for Jesus and a relationship with him and to spend eternity for him, you are running it for the wrong reason. If you are running it because you've lost somebody that you love and you believe them to be in heaven now, you believe them to be in the very presence of God and you're running it so that you can be with them one day, you're running it for the wrong reason. You're running it for the wrong reason. You will quit, you will fail, you will stop. You will not run with endurance. If you are running the race thinking I I should be running and, and everybody else is running, therefore I should be running and you're just doing it to keep up with the the crowd and to keep up with the people around you, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Your eyes are just looking to the side to see who's running with you. When you really run for Jesus and to Jesus, that's the only way you'll run with endurance. That's the only way you won't stop, won't quit, is when you've got the right motivations, and the motivations come from within here. They come from within here. And you'll talk yourself out of it. You'll try to say, this is not for me. This is not my time. This is something else. My message to you today is this. Look in your heart and run with the right motivation. Look at what your heart says. Look at what your heart's desires are. And then see where your eyes are focused. What are your eyes focused on? What are you, what, what are you looking at as you run? Is it Jesus or is it something else?